Hello, I'm Dwayne McCreary. I'm the team leader for Explore the Bible for Adults, and I'm glad you joined us this week for our podcast on our study of Romans, which will be taking place during the spring of 2020. Um, we look forward to our time together. It's an exciting book with all kinds of challenges in it that will help us understand our uh, commitment to Christ and the gospel. Um, we're beginning today, this week, with Mike Livingston. Mike's our guest today. Mike's one of the members of the adult team uh, that edits uh, the he, he edits mostly the personal study guide and the leader guide commentary. Mike, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Uh, what we're looking at today is really the, is the first session, which is Romans 1, uh, 1 through 7, and then 13 through 17. In verses 1 through 7, Paul describes the gospel. He introduces himself as a servant. He's called and set apart. He also describes the gospel as being something that was promised, it's found in Christ, it's seen in the resurrection, and it's offered to all. Uh, he's going to address this letter to the believers in Rome, and he emphasizes that these folks were Gentiles. In verses 13 through 15, Paul expresses his strong desire to share the gospel with the Romans in person, mainly because he felt obligated to do so. Uh, the, the, the outline uh, break for that particular uh, section of, of verses, verses 13 through 15, is entitled The Gospel Debt. And he feels this indebtedness because of what Christ has done in his life to share it, particularly with the Romans. In verses 16 and 17, we see Paul proclaiming that he was not ashamed to declare that God's righteousness was found through faith in Christ alone. Uh, he points out that God offers salvation to all people and that starts with the Jewish people. You're going to notice that in the outline, this is just entitled, The Gospel Declared. So the outline sets up this way. Verses 1 through 7 is the gospel described. Verses 13 through 15 is the gospel debt. And verses 16 through 17 is the gospel declared. So Mike, let's think some about these verses. Let's begin with that idea. The gospel is, centered, is central to the introduction to this letter. We see that in the, in the outline points. Uh, how should we understand the gospel based on what Paul's saying here at the beginning of Romans 1? You know, if we don't get the gospel right, it doesn't really matter what else we get right. You think about what Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, where he said, I, I want to make clear to you the gospel that I preached to you, for I passed on as most important as most important, he says, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. Paul there says the gospel is the most important thing. And then think also about what he said to the Galatians. You know, you had uh, false teachers who were distorting the gospel. And Paul said there, if an angel from heaven were to come preaching another message, that angel should be eternally condemned. And that tells us something about the responsibility we have as teachers to get the gospel right. So how should we understand the gospel? When the, in the most general since gospel, the word gospel refers to the totality of the message of the saving work of Christ. Specifically, it's about what God has done for us through the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's about the salvation that God has made possible through Christ, particularly the message of his death and resurrection. So the heart of the gospel is the cross and the resurrection. Now, one way I think for, for us to help people understand what the gospel is all about, really, is, is to talk about the distinction between law and gospel as a means of salvation. that The law, strictly speaking, is what God tells people to do, but the gospel tells what God has done for, 
for us. It tells of the gift of, of, of salvation, that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we'll see that distinction throughout our study of Romans, all through, right? uh, Yeah, all through, the, the, especially the first several uh, uh, sessions of Romans. So the gospel is, is really the message that God did for us what religion could not do, what we could not do for ourselves. We can't do enough good things to be right with God. And if we could do enough things to be right with God, then why did Jesus die on the cross? And so that, that's the gospel message. It's not, a, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a story about what God has done. The gospel does what religion cannot do. It, it does what good intentions cannot do. It changes us from the inside out. In verse 5, we see this, this phrase, uh, obedience of faith. Help us understand the significance of that term, Mike. Yeah, the context. Just, you know, always, you know, look at the context where Paul is talking in these first um, several verses of Romans, how he was set apart by God and commissioned to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He was called to bring about this obedience of faith among the Gentiles. So the obedience of faith was the desired response to the gospel message. Look at, you know, you might want to even compare translations. The New International Version uh, translates that phrase, the obedience that comes from faith, which is a good way to, to, to think about it. And, and Paul used the same term in other places. In Romans 16, 26, he talks about advancing the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. So the, the obedience of faith is, is simply a phrase that describes salvation. And, and what we need to be clear about when we teach this is we need to be clear about three things at least. One is that salvation is by faith alone. We, you know, we need to be very clear. You're saved by grace through faith, not from works. So we need to be clear about that, that salvation is by faith, but faith is not just an emotional feeling, nor is it uh, an, just a passive agreeing to some doctrinal statements or some historical facts. That faith involves an active response to a person. Faith involves trust. And obedience is the outward measure of that inward response of trust in Christ. So faith and obedience really go together. They're inseparable. True faith expresses itself in obedience. Obedience stems from faith. Real faith always leads to obedience. Real obedience comes from faith. Okay, so those three things are faith alone. Salvation is by faith alone. Okay. Secondly, faith is not an emotional feeling or a, a passive agreement. Okay. It's, it's an active response. And then the third one's obedience. The third one is that faith and obedience always to go, okay. go together. Obedience stems from true faith. Okay. Looking further down in the passage, in verse 14, Paul calls himself obligated, and he says he's obligated to the Greeks and barbarians, the wise and the unwise. Why does he bring up that group? Help us unpack that, that, this, this statement here in verse 14. Okay, God called Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We just looked at verse 5 mm -hmm. uh, where he said he received, Paul received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. All, he uses the, the, the word all, all the Gentiles. Here in verse 14, he's talking about his obligation to all the Gentiles, and this is this is his way of, of just saying all the Gentiles. Now, you know, the last word in verse 13, just look up in the previous verse, verse 13, the last word in that verse is Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And then here in this verse, 14, he's he's using these phrases as a way of referring to them, to, to the Gentiles. So he mentions these groups. Uh, the Greeks uh, would probably just refer to 
the educated, the intellectuals, the, the sophisticated, perhaps, those who spoke the Greek language, of course, uh, barbarians uh, referred to those who were not Greek or who didn't speak the, the Greek language. The word barbarian is actually a transliteration of a Greek term, barbaroi, from which we get barbarian. And, and just that word barbaroi, those first two sentences, barbar, um, that points to the original meaning of the word as a person who stammered, a person who stuttered. And later it came to mean uh, someone who spoke a foreign language, someone, especially something uh, other than the Greek language. So Greeks and barbarians, and then you got wise and foolish, and some commentators think wise and foolish was just an, a way of saying the same thing a second time with slightly different words. And we know that Jews would sometimes do this. They would emphasize a point by saying it a second time with slightly different words as a form of parallelism. So it might be that wise parallels Greeks and foolish parallels barbarians. Or the, the foolish was uh, just anyone who wasn't educated or cultured in the eyes of, of the Greeks. And this is significant, particularly since Paul was Jewish himself. Yeah. He's taking it to the group that he is not. Yeah. And, and what, so what we want to say here uh, about this and, and these groups that he mentions is that the point he was making is that he was obligated to take the gospel to all Gentiles, all Gentiles, regardless of their ethnic or cultural background, regardless of their natural, national origin or their level of worldly sophistication or, or whatever. Everybody needs the gospel, and that's the point he's making, that he's called to take the gospel to every Gentile. He mentions in verse 16 that he's not ashamed of the gospel. What are some subtle ways that folks in our group may demonstrate or may show that they're ashamed without them even knowing it? And how can we help them overcome that feeling? Well, if you follow the train of thought, <coughs> look at the train of thought in verses um, 15 and 16. Where Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know it's the power of God to save. So following that train of thought, uh, the reason Paul was, could be eager to share the gospel and the reason he was not ashamed of the gospel is because he knew the gospel was God's one and only way to bring salvation to the world. So his, his eagerness to preach the gospel and his unashamedness to preach the gospel stemmed from that confidence that he had in the gospel's power so I, I guess I, I would just say that the way to overcome our hesitancy, share the gospel, or our lack of boldness in proclaiming the gospel uh, might be to, to regain our confidence in the gospel's power. Throughout this particular study of Romans, we're going to see these themes come up over and over again about God's power, the transforming power of the gospel, uh, the how that truth compels us to share with other people. Paul is making the point here that he, he not only should tell, but he must tell because of what it's done in his life. It's a stewardship that's been given to him, and it's something that is not just, uh, it really defines who he is. And so those things drive why he must tell. And then the rest of the book of Romans is him sharing what it is 
he must tell. So this first lesson really introduces and gets us moving forward with this study of Romans. Uh, Mike, you have any other insights or things you'd share about this first lesson? Yeah, you know, maybe just um, a, a, a quote that that uh, stood out uh, to me from a book that I read that you know, I would, and I recommend J.D. Greer's book Gospel. Mm-hmm. But just a quote that stood out to me and challenged me from that book is that Greer said that being able to articulate the gospel with accuracy is one thing. Having its truth captivate your soul, that's quite another thing. Thank you for being with us today, Mike. Thank you all for joining us today. Next week, we'll be looking at session two and what Paul has to say about our sin.